Welcome to a rare Saturday edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. This installment is necessary to get recent information to people in as timely a manner as a one-person operation can manage. There has been a lot of relevant subject matter related to land use, transportation, and economic development, and it is the mission of Charlottesville Community Engagement to turn as much of it as possible into content as soon as possible. Are you content with that? I'm Sean Tubbs, and I seem to be. On this installment, Green County lifts mandatory water restrictions. The latest campaign finance reports are in with the at-large Albemarle School Board race as the most expensive so far in this area. The most lackluster race in terms of fundraising is either the Charlottesville City Council or the City School Board race. There is a new chair of the UVA Buildings and Grounds Committee, and new residence halls will be named for two esteemed faculty members. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, Camp Albemarle has for over 60 years been a wholesome, rural, rustic, and restful site for youth activities, church groups, civic events, and occasional private programs. Located on 14 acres on the banks of the Mormons River near Free Union, Camp Albemarle continues as a legacy of being a civilian conservation corps project that seeks to promote the importance of rural activities. Are you looking to escape and reconnect with nature? Consider holding an event where the natural beauty of the grounds will provide a venue to suit your needs. Visit their website to view the gallery and learn more. After eight days, Greene County has removed limitations on customers of public water following rainfall that recharged the public water supply. However, officials are still encouraging water conservation. In a release, Alan Harrison, the director of the Greene County Water and Sewer Department, said that while recent rainfalls have increased the water level in the Rapidan River, they could very easily return to low levels without further precipitation. Green County is planning to expand its water supply by impounding a waterway known as White Run for a new reservoir. The locality had to leave the Rapidan Service Authority to proceed and took over that entity's assets on June 23rd. For more information, visit Green County's website. The Rivanna Water and Sewer Authority manages the reservoirs that serve public customers in Albemarle and Charlottesville. The five waterways were at 91.82% of usable capacity as of yesterday. That's down slightly from 92.11% on September 14th. There is less than a week until early voting begins for the November 7th election, which is 52 days away. On the ballot are all 140 seats in the General Assembly, as well as local races. The first campaign forums and candidate town halls have begun, and the latest round of campaign finance reports have been turned in. The Virginia Public Access Project compiles those reports, making it easier for the rest of us to get a glimpse. There are seven members of the Albemarle School Board with one at-large representative elected by the whole county. Incumbent Jono Alcaro opted to not seek another term in 2023. Keep in mind that there are only six members on the Board of Supervisors, with none of them elected by all voters. Now to those school board candidates for the at-large seat. 
Allison Spillman had $8,987 in the bank at the beginning of July and raised $44,122 in the two-month period. That includes a $15,000 contribution from Sonia Smith. The campaign had $15,884 in itemized expenses and $2,303 in in-kind expenses. Spillman had an ending balance of 34921 Meg Bryce had a starting balance of $30,521 and raised $25,578 during the two months. This includes a $5,000 donation from Robert H. Smith. The campaign spent $22,073 and had an ending balance of $33,756 on August 31st. Bryce is the daughter of the late U.S. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. In the Rivanna district, incumbent supervisor B. Lepisto Kirtley had $11,734 on hand on July 1st and raised $17,350 over the two-month period. That includes a $5,000 contribution from Sonia Smith and another $5,000 from the Stony Point Development Group. LifeView Marketing provided $6,200 in in-kind services. The incumbent spent $18,784, including that in-kind donation, to have $10,299 on hand as of August 31st. Independent T.J. Fadley began the period with $2,254 and raised $9,843 in July and August. That includes a $5,000 contribution from Richard Gilliam. The campaign spent $1,473, including $222 in in-kind expenses. Fadley had $10,624 on hand as September got underway. School board member Judy Lee is the only candidate on the ballot, but there is a write-in candidate underway. Lee began the period with $167 in the bank, raised $650, and spent $211, leaving an ending balance of $606. The write-in candidate is Michelle De Stefano, and the campaign also filed a report. De Stefano opened up a campaign account on July 25th and raised $850 in the period. There are $431 in expenses and an ending balance of $408. Turning now to the Whitehall District, Democratic incumbent Ann Malik had $18,539 at the beginning of July and raised $6,250. The campaign spent $4,216 and had $20,573 going into September. Independent challenger Brad Rickle had $1,774 on July 1st and raised $4,075 in the two-month period. The campaign spent $2,603 and had a balance of $3,246 at the end of August. Rebecca Berlin is the incumbent in the school board race after being appointed to the position in late 2022. Her campaign had a balance of $965 on July 1st and raised $3,784. Berlin spent $1,487 and had $3,262 as an ending balance on August 31st. Joanne McDermott is challenging Berlin, and her campaign had $2,551 at the beginning of the period. She raised $3,785 and spent $1,534 in the two months. McDermott had $4,803 in the account as of August 31st. 
Democrat Mike Pruitt is the only candidate on the ballot in the Scottsville district to succeed Donna Price as that district's supervisor. Pruitt began the month with $5,975 and raised $450 in July and August. The campaign spent $17. Incumbent Ellen Osborne is the only candidate on the ballot for the school board. She began July with $706 and loaned herself $500. That's the only receipt for the period, and the campaign spent $421 to have an ending balance of $784. I encourage everybody to click on those links and click on those donors. Can't report it at all, but I can definitely bring you the information. Charlottesville is in the midst of a generational shift in land use politics, with the Planning Commission set to deliberate the new development code next week after a five-hour public hearing this past Thursday. More on that public hearing in a future edition of this newsletter. In a democracy, different points of view are often reflected by candidates who seek election to a legislature to implement political visions. There are three candidates for three seats on Charlottesville City Council, with the three Democrats having been selected in the June 20th primary. No independent candidates qualified for the ballot, and the Republican Party has not run a candidate in Charlottesville since 2015. No write-in campaigns have emerged that I know of. The three Democrats on the ballot raised a collective $50 in the campaign finance reporting period from July 1st to August 31st. Incumbent Democrat Michael Payne started July with a balance of $9,775 and received one contribution of $50. Payne spent $603 with a lot of that on coffee at various establishments. Democrat Lloyd Snook began July with $4,424 in his campaign account and spent $12 on two monthly payments to Squarespace. That leaves an ending balance of $4,412 for the incumbent, who is also mayor but will not be mayor in January. Newcomer Natalie Oshrin started with $4,220 and spent $114 on websites and printing expenses. Her ending balance is $4,079. There are four candidates running for four seats on the school board. None of the incumbents sought re-election. Only one of the candidates have filed a campaign report, according to the Virginia Public Access Project. That was Amanda Burns, who reported she raised no money and spent no money, meaning the balance of $200 applies to both starting and ending. There's only one candidate for Charlottesville's elected position on the Thomas Jefferson Soil and Water Conservation District, and that's Joe Thompson. In Albemarle, the candidates are incumbent Stephen Meeks and newcomer Mark William Wassler. Why aren't there more candidates in Charlottesville? Is there something in Charlottesville that makes people avoid running for office? Why do you think this is? Please let me know. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, there are two health-related events coming up in the community, and perhaps you, or someone you know, should consider attending. First, September is Sickle Cell Disease Awareness Month, and there's a blood drive taking place on September 29th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Mount Zion First African Baptist Church at 105 Lankford Avenue. Everyone is welcome, but black donors are especially asked to donate blood because one in three will match a patient with sickle cell disease. Four tickets to a UVA football game will be raffled off at the drive. 
The next day, at the same location, there will be a Men's Day health event from 9am to 2pm. There will be health screenings, tournaments, giveaways, and food catered by the Mount Zion First African Baptist Church Nutrition Ministry. Free transportation is available. Contact me for that contact information, and thank you to the person who shouted that out. One more story to go today. Decisions in Albemarle County and Charlottesville are often made by elected officials, but one of the region's most influential bodies is an appointed one. The Buildings and Grounds Committee of the Board of Visitors met Thursday as part of the larger group's September meeting. There's a new chair, and that's John L. Now III of Houston, Texas. Our decisions have a long-standing impact on the university. Now has previously served on the Board of Visitors and was reappointed to the position by Governor Glenn Youngkin in late June, along with Paul C. Harris, Paul Manning, and Rachel Sheridan. The Buildings and Grounds Committee shapes the work of the Office of the Architect, which implements various master plans for the state institution. For instance, the design for the Karsh Institute of Democracy was modified after input in December 2022 to add an element of white brick and wood panels stained red. That design was endorsed this past June by the Buildings and Grounds Committee. UVA is exempt from local zoning and does not pay real property taxes to Charlottesville, though properties owned by the UVA Foundation do. Now said he has been meeting with top staff at UVA to discuss the goals for the next year, as well as implementation of the capital plan. This includes over a billion dollars in projects under construction and over 800 million in projects that are in planning and design. One of those projects is a new residence hall on Brandon Avenue, a section of Charlottesville that was slowly purchased by the UVA Foundation over time. Colette Sheehy is the Senior Vice President for Operations and State Government Relations at UVA. We're getting ready, coming up next summer, to the opening of the new residence halls on Brandon Avenue. About 350 beds, a dining facility, and 100 parking spaces, and common space as well. Sheehy said the current proposal is to name one of the two buildings after the late Paul Gaston, a historian who joined the faculty in 1957 and was instrumental in civil rights protests in Charlottesville in the 1960s. The other building would be named for Rui Ramazani, a political scientist who escaped Iran in 1952 and earned a law degree from UVA in 1954. He taught the first course at UVA on the Middle East and continued to teach for more than 40 years. There was no discussion at the meeting of several other renamings, but here you go, because it's interesting. A building at the Mountain Lake Biological Station in southwest Virginia has been renamed for Ruth Myrtle Patrick, one of the first women to earn a doctorate at UVA with a PhD in biology in 1934. She became curator at the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia in 1937, but did not receive any payment for her work until 1945. A two-story building at Mountain Lake had been named for Ivy Lewis, the biological station's founding director and an opponent of desegregation and a promoter of eugenics. A garden behind two medical research buildings will be named for Dr. Thomas Braschielli, the founding director of the UVA Byrne C. Carter Immunology Center for Research. The late Dr. Braschielli died on May 23, 2023. 
A stream that runs through the Darden Arboretum and Botanical Gardens will now be known as the Lauren Morrill Stream. That person and her husband are generous supporters of the Darden School. And there are new names for the three restaurants that will be part of the Virginia Guest House. That's the hotel that's under construction in the Emmett Ivy Corridor. These names are the Counter Cafe, the Poplar, and the Perch. The latter is a rooftop restaurant. The Buildings and Grounds Committee also did not discuss the demolition of three buildings on Ivy Road that are going to be torn down to make way for the Karsh Institute of Democracy. Two apartment buildings and a commercial structure will come down to make way for infrastructure improvements for the new building and the rest of the Emmett Ivy Corridor. There's going to be more from the Buildings and Grounds Committee in future editions of this newsletter. That's the end of this one, number 578. How many Saturday editions of Charlottesville Community Engagement have there been? Not many. I usually spend Saturdays writing up other stories, but this has been a busy week and there's a lot happening. I wanted to get this information out today so I can get more out tomorrow, more out Monday, and so on. To what end? Toward an informed community. It's also how I make my living. Hundreds of people are paying through Substack or through Patreon helping pay so that thousands of others can also take a look. This is what I want to do with my life, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to do so. You can become part of that by signing up through Substack. And if you do, the super helpful internet company Ting will match your initial subscription. I am grateful for this because it helps me continue to think about a future of writing and research. That's the end of this installment. There will be another one. Will it be Monday? Will it be Tuesday? I don't know, but the week ahead is going to come out first. And anyway, there's a lot to write about, and thank you very much for listening. <laughs>